when you're starting out, it, a lot of it's psychological, you know, because I felt like I didn't belong. These are big deals with big dollar signs and it's overwhelming. You're like, how do I even, how is this even possible? This seems crazy, you know? And so it's, it's just really trying to learn all those foundational things of the business. And then you have to just, you know, take those risks, reach out to the brokers, set up those meetings. And even if you're terrified, you have to fake it till you make it, you know, and each time you continue to push your comfort zone and embrace those fears, you know, you just, you start to get a lot more confidence. Welcome to How to Buy Giant Apartment Buildings, the number one show about growing your family's wealth with apartment building investments. Now, here's your host, Mark Allen Kenny. Hey, everybody, welcome to How to Buy Giant Apartment Buildings. I'm Mark Allen Kenny. Our guest today is Zach Happenstall. Zach is the CEO and co-founder of Rise48 Equity. He and his wife, Grace, co-founded the company, which now has over $143 million in assets under management. In addition, Zach and Grace also founded ZH Multifamily as a way to provide mentorship and educational resources about apartment investing. So, Zach, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Could you tell the listeners just a little bit more about your background and how you got started in real estate? Yeah. Hey, Mark. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Yeah. So, I mean, a quick background on me. I was born and raised here in Phoenix, Arizona. So, lived here pretty much my entire life. I have a journalism degree. So, I was actually a live news anchor and sports reporter on Arizona PBS. And I host a show on Fox Sports Network. So, that was cool. I realized I don't want to do journalism. I just didn't, didn't want to go that route. So, I went into healthcare sales, working actually for a hospice organization, worked my way up. Um, became a director of marketing and then a, a co-owner in that company. So I was very blessed to make you know good money at an early age that allowed me to get my MBA, pay off all my school debt, I bought a house when I was 23. So I was very blessed in that regard. I did that for four years. And I just got burnt out, honestly. I just worked in crazy hours, seven days a week. It wasn't my passion. And so in January of 2018, I said, man, I don't want to do this, but I don't know what I want to do. And I don't have any time to even figure it out. So I, I said, screw it. I'm just going to, I'm going to resign. So I resigned. I sold my equity in the company and I had no plan. I just knew I wanted to somehow create passive income through real estate. I had no connections, no family money or anything. I, I grew up in like a lower middle-class family. And so I basically just set out and I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll allocate this money to uh, live off of. And I started looking initially at flipping homes, realized that's transactional, highly taxed, don't want to do that. Then I really liked mobile home parks. So I cold called over 90 mobile home park owners here in Apache Junction, Mesa area of the Phoenix Metro. And I was trying to buy one on a seller carry. That did not work out. So I just kept kind of going through, grinding along, listening to a lot of podcasts like yours, Mark, and reading books, et cetera. And I, I realized I really liked multifamily and I learned about syndication. So anyways, I decided a few months after I quit the job, finally, you know, 90, 120 days after, I want to do multifamily syndication because I feel like that's an attractive asset class where I can raise money and, and it just has all these different advantages. So it actually took 10 months from the moment I quit my job to get the first deal under contract. And that was a that's So it was, four, it was 14 months to close our first deal from when I quit my job. Wow. Okay. okay. That was a that was a lot of adversity, honestly, because I go from making, you know, 200 k plus a year, getting fat paychecks every two weeks, 
waking up in the morning, knowing what I'm supposed to do and um, being quote unquote, the man in my industry, I was doing really well to now you wake up every morning. There's nobody to report to. You're making no money burning through savings and you wake up every day and you're like, what am I supposed to do today? Like, how do I move the needle to get to my goal? So that was a, that was a lot of adversity and a grind, but finally, you know, through going through flying to conferences, meeting people, et cetera, you know, I found a couple of people that I wanted to partner with and I had 165 K left that I had, that I had saved. This was 10, 11 months into this. I had burned through a lot of money, just not making any money, obviously. And so I put 160 of the 165 into the first deal. So I was, I was all in on this deal. And I found a, a handful of guys, you know, to put in like 150 to 300. And so the first deal, we ended up doing a tenant in common or a tick structure. So we had no passive investors in it. And we wanted to learn how to execute, you know, a value add business plan firsthand ourselves. So, so we were fortunate. We did really well on that one. You know, we renovated 75% of interiors, did all the exteriors. How many units was it? The first one was 36 units, Okay. 3.4 million. Yep. And so that was a 21 month hold. We sold in 21 months, achieved a 1.9 equity multiple and a 44% IRR. So that was going to just give us that experience, you know, and, and it gave us a lot of confidence and momentum going forward where we were then able to start syndicating these deals. Okay. So we've gained a lot of momentum. And so in the last, we bought our first deal and closed on it February of 2019, which is about 25, 26 months ago. So in about the last two years, since then we've acquired 10 assets worth over 140 million, over a thousand units all here in the Phoenix market. And we have another, you know, three properties under contract worth about 75 million to close in the next 60 days. So, you know, it was just, it kind of meets all those different cliches, you know, where it's like in the beginning, it was very slow, a lot of grinding, adversity, uncertainty, finally get the first one. And then, I mean, it's still hard after that, don't get me wrong, but it's just constantly building momentum, building your network. And so we've been able to do that. So now, you know, it's kind of cool just in the last 90 days, we've kind of become, you know, quote unquote, a real company in a sense where, there's three of us. So it's Bikron, Robert, myself. The three of us are 100% focused on our syndication business. We're all here local. We have no other jobs or businesses. We now have a business office here that we're here every day. We hired an employee. We're all taking salaries. So it's kind of cool how we've been able to you know, build it up and, and we're just going to continue to try to keep scaling. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about the adversity that you faced up until that first deal and just the momentum that you you created. I would imagine when brokers see your ability to close, you get access to more deals. When when banks see y- your ability to run a property, you get access to the financing. Can you walk the listener through maybe some of the hurdles that you faced that first 14 months and then how that changed right after your first deal and, and how that momentum just exponentially grew? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question, Mark. And you mentioned a couple of good points right there. You know, I mean, I think when you're starting out, it, a lot of it's psychological, you know, because I felt like I didn't belong and I was intimidated. I was very intimidated by brokers, you know, and I didn't even want to reach nervous to even reach out to them because you feel like you don't belong. These are big deals with big dollar signs and it's overwhelming. You're like, how do I even, how is this even possible? This seems crazy, you know? And so it's, it's just really trying to learn all those foundational things of the business. And then you have to just, you know, take those risks, reach out to the brokers, set up those meetings. And even if you're terrified, you have to fake it till you make it, you know, and each time you continue to push your comfort zone 
and embrace those fears, you know, you just, you start to get a lot more confidence, you know, and it continues to just build and build and build. But yeah, I mean, for example, you know, after we, after we close, like you said, you get the broker's attention because there's so many people that listen to your podcast and several podcasts and so many people that want to get into multifamily, but the difference between people who have one deal and zero deals is immense, right? So it's for me, it was like, once I got that one, that first deal, it kind of felt like I, I got that monkey off my back. And I was like in the club, so to speak, you know, where you now have the credibility. So now these brokers take you more seriously and they know that you can perform and investors too, you know, cause now you have, you have something to point to where you have a track record that, that you've performed. And so, I mean, I can tell you those first four deals we acquired were on the markets. They were all marketed deals. We had to go through the comp- the competitive best and final process to win them. And the last six deals that we've bought since then have been completely off market with no competition directly from brokers. And the three we have under contract, same story, you know, completely off market, no competition. And it's not like we're not trying to bid on these market deals. We are, we're, we're in like the best and final on most of these major deals here in Phoenix. It's just that we just keep getting second and third. We can't get to those prices, but because we were able to perform you know, in those first four deals, you form relationships with these brokers and that, and that trust, right. And the communication. And so they'll, they'll bring you a deal. And then even deals, even if brokers you haven't met or done deals with previously, they know, you know, when you're starting to scale and they see who's trading, they say who's buying and selling deals. And so they'll come to you. And so yeah, that was one of the big things. I mean, pretty much every aspect of the business that you can think of, you gain a lot of momentum and confidence and progression by doing that first deal from broker relationships. You mentioned lenders, Mark, that's accurate investors and just going anywhere, you know? So now it's like a lot of people are now, you know, reaching out to us. Whereas in the beginning, you have to be the one cold calling, grinding it out and trying to meet with people. So it is, it is a lot different. Yeah, that makes sense. And then I think what you said about the, just the mindset that first 14 months makes a lot of sense too. Did you seek out any sort of mentor or coach or anything to help you speed up that process? Yeah, I did. I did. Good, good question. So I did, I joined a mentorship program based out of Dallas and it's called Brad Sumrock. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's several of these programs now. Okay. So I spent 30K, $30,000 I spent and to join this. So I spent the first six months after I quit my job trying to just cold call people and just grind it out, meet everybody. And I found that it, it was tough because it's like everybody I'm meeting with, I'm trying to educate them on how this works. And then I start going to these conferences and I realized that these conferences and some of these mentorship programs, you know, it's, it's just everybody is already educated on this. That's why they're here. And you're with like-minded people who understand it. And so when I joined the mentorship program, six months had gone by and I was just so frustrated, you know, lost all my confidence. I was so hard on myself for not making more progress at that time. And I realized that I need to collapse the time frame by joining some type of network where people are actually doing this. And so, so I joined that program and I viewed it as like buying a network, so to speak, you know, and the whole premise of that particular group is like, there's coaches and um, if they approve your underwriting, then you can raise money from other people in the group. Well, long story short, you know, they just don't understand the Phoenix market. And so the group, as far as equity brought no value to us for raising equity. And so we only did a couple deals within the confines of that group and it didn't really help us with equity, but I don't regret joining because 
I met my two business partners through there. Oh, wow. A lot of good people. Yeah. So the, the good thing about some of these groups is some people are going to listen to this market and say, wow, you're crazy dropping 30K on an educational program. But the way I viewed it is it's a high barrier to entry, right? So if you want to get other people who are serious and competitive and successful, then that can be a good way to do it. Where you're finding people that they're obviously want to do this and they're serious. And again, it, it for me, it was to collapse the time frame. And it was also good to be part of a, a community or a network where you see other people buying these deals and you realize these are just regular people. They're not super wealthy. They might be regular W-2 workers like most people, but you know, you just get, you get connected with the right people and you have the right mindset to continue to go down that path, you can get there. So, so that really helped me too and created a competition component where I'm like, I can do this if these guys are doing it. You know what I mean? So, and, I, and I think a lot of people that listen you know, to your show or want to get into this, they probably feel like isolated or because they don't talk to a lot of people or go to events where people are, are doing this because it's such a niche, you know, unique type of business. But I think any type of meetups you can go to or even virtual, obviously, now with post-COVID, um, it can all be helpful. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then as far as connecting with your, your partners, how did you kind of figure out what role you gravitated towards in your partnership and, and splitting up the duties, whether it's asset management or raising capital or, or whatever? How, is there a role that you personally gravitate towards? And how did you know what to look for in a partner? It's funny. I just got off a call with a guy who's trying to get into it. I just had this conversation with him about the importance of identifying what your strengths are and what your passions are and what your role needs to be in the business and then identifying what are your weaknesses and how to find your complementary partners. So for me, I mean, the first deal I underwrote, the first deal was kind of doing everything. Honestly, it was overwhelming. It's a lot. And so what I had to realize is like, so for me, I have an MBA. I've taken accounting classes. I know how to underwrite. You know, I, I have a thorough understanding of it, but I hate doing it. I actually hate sitting in front of spreadsheets for hours. It drives me crazy. Um, I want to be out there talking to brokers, you know, talking to investors, forming relationships with the attorneys, the ma property management companies, et cetera, and kind of managing these relationships. And so for me, I didn't know that initially though, right? And so I think that's a very important thing is if you're trying to get into it, you need to identify which part of the business do you like and are you good at, Okay. Are you like a relationships person who wants to be out there, stirring it up, creating business, the business development kind of person? Great. And, and if you're like that and you don't, you don't want to be back office or, you know, in front of a computer screen or underwriting deals, you need to find somebody who's complimentary and who that's, that's their skill set. And then, then you need to find somebody, if you don't have net worth and liquidity, you need to find somebody who has high net worth and high liquidity, who can either be like a full-time partner and you give them a um, real roles, or they can just be like a balance sheet person. So, so for me, I probably went through at least seven or eight different quote unquote partners. Okay. That I, that I was quote unquote dating. Okay. So and that's what you say. And, and by, by that, I mean, okay, Mark and Zach meet and we say, Hey, we both want to do multifamily. We, we both want to buy 20 to 50 unit deals in Phoenix. Okay, great. Let's start looking together, you know, and I'll talk to some brokers and maybe you underwrite some deals, Mark or vice versa. We'll share resources. So you start to kind of work with people, right? And try to pursue a mutual goal. And by doing that, you'll start to identify, okay, is this person as committed as I am? Are they work hard as I am? How's the communication? If I want to have a daily call to check in on what our progress is, are they going to be okay with that? Or can I not get a hold of them? Um, do I like them? You know, is communication good? Because it is important to like the people you're, you're working with you to talk to them frequently. And these are, you're going to be put in 
you know, high pressure, high stress situations that have big consequences whenever you're doing these deals. And so you need to be able to have real conversations. So, yeah, so for me, it was kind of going through all these different people. And some people were just like, they don't want, they don't work as hard or whatever. I don't like them, whatever. And then some people I really liked, you get along really well, but then you realize you have the same skill set. And it's like, well, I need an underwriting guy and you're not that guy. I'm sorry, it's not going to work. You know, so you identify what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What do you want to do? What don't you want to do? And you need to try to find at least one, maybe two committed business partners, right? Where you guys are like married, you're in bed together and you're going to do, you're going to do deals going forward together because it's, it's very important, you know, and, and you want to make sure you, you split out those roles and responsibilities like you were saying, Mark. So to answer part of your second part of that question, yeah, we have now um, been able to really identify and refine our roles. So, I mean, I, I'm the CEO, so I'm focused primarily on overseeing acquisitions, sourcing capital and strategic partnerships. So I'm doing a lot of deal sourcing, raising capital, et cetera. Bikron is our CFO, Bikron Sandu. So he has an economics degree, CPA, very strong financial analysis background. So he's focused on underwriting deals on the front end. And then he's basically doing, he's basically the back office of our company, you know, doing all the financial analysis, accounting, watching the budgets to make sure everything is in line, et cetera. And then we have Robert, Robert Shevchik is our chief construction officer. And so he's higher network, high liquidity. So he satisfies that. He has a master's degree in architecture and a construction background. So he's focused primarily on, on post-acquisition asset management, make sure our renovations are on schedule and on budget. You know, so between the three of us, we've really covered you know, the main responsibilities. And now we just kind of know what each, what each of us is supposed to do. So when we have a deal, we just go, we go right to it. We all go you know, I'll reach out to insurance, attorney, lender, get all that stuff ready to go. Bikron's working on, on getting all the SEC docs and underwriting and everything. So, so we kind of have, have gotten that all, all figured out. And, and it's important because that's how you can really scale, you know. And so now, we have, now we've hired like a full-time salary director of asset management who helps to oversee the portfolio. And we're now in the next 90 days, we're going to be hiring a, a transactions manager and probably like a construction associate to walk, walk units. So... You have to kind of figure out, it starts with what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, find that at least one other person, and then you can really start to satisfy all the needs of, of what it takes to, to do these deals. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's great advice. So now now that you've kind of formed that partnership, and even in the beginning, so say, you know, you were kind of finding your way that first 14 months, you, you linked up with some partners, you took down that first 36 unit. How has that strategy changed? I, I imagine that you shifted your strategy pretty early on just by, you know, the assets under management that you have right now. I, I'm, I'm guessing you you did the 36 unit. Did you make a jump to over 150 units pretty pretty quickly after that? Or what was the strategy in the early uh, yeah. early first couple acquisitions? So, I mean, the first one we did that tick, just kind of bootstrap it, a tenant in common tick structure, just bootstrap it to get it together. And then... The next one was a portfolio of two deals. It was a 59 unit and a 76 unit. And they wanted some of the portfolio. So we actually got creative. We ended up, it modeled and penciled better if we did a tick on one and a syndication on the other. So we, we actually did a tenant in common on the 59 unit. And we found, again, like some, some uh, higher net worth investors who put in bigger chunks of money. And then on the syndication, you know, we did your 50K minimum um, type of guys. And so... You know, on the, on the first syndication, I partnered with somebody who had experience raising capital for multifamily deals. Okay. So if, 
if you're just starting out, it's very difficult to raise capital, okay? Because even if you have a, a, a very strong network of people, they need to show that they want to see that you have a track record, you know what you're doing. So if you can, if you can try to partner with somebody, you know, who can bring that investor relations component where they, they do have a network where they can raise capital, but they also have an active role and can provide, you know, guidance with asset management, things like that, then that can, that can help a lot. So we did bring on somebody to help, you know, in those departments on the first syndication, which just helps you to get one under your belt, right? And start to learn. And then after that, we really be able to just build our own network of investors and, you know, kind of go to people that we knew in the past and show them, look, this is what we're doing now. We've bought these deals. This is how they're performing. And then it's really just, you have to always kind of be thinking in that regard, you know, of, of trying to, how can I serve investors or how can I provide good opportunities for people? So when you go to other events, you can get, kind of just talk about, you know, what you're doing and how it works and, and pique people's interest. And, and now, you know, we've just been seeing a ton of exponential growth of our, our current and past investors are referring their friends and family. So we're getting a ton of new investors just from referrals, you know, which would helpful. So it really is kind of like a snowball effect. And you just need to try to figure out which people or pieces to put together in the beginning in order to lay that foundation and keep building up to that point. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And then, so today as a, as a company, what's kind of the strategy? I'm, I'm kind of guessing you're staying in the Phoenix market. Is there a typical asset class or, or business plan that you guys like to implement? Yeah, we're basically focused on a hundred plus units. So really between 10 to $50 million purchase price, our focus. And the reason for that is, you know, it's, that'll be at least a hundred units, um, which gives us the economies of scale, like everybody says, but we feel comfortable raising the equity, you know, for a deal that size, anything over 50 million would be a stretch for us. And so, and we are looking for value add, you know, so we're looking for, you know, C plus and B class assets that are a little older, but they're in upcoming areas. And so we'll go in there and do a light value add. So we'll do new exterior paint, rebrand it if it makes sense, add amenities if we can. On the interiors, we do new vinyl plank flooring, new quartz countertops, kit tile, uh, subway tile backsplash, plumbing fixtures, cabinets, LED lights, paint, etc. And so, yeah, in, in, in Phoenix, you know, we not only have to have that value add component for it to work, but we also need loss to lease in play. And for those of the listeners who understand that basically loss to lease means that the rents that leases are currently at are already below market, meaning that these current leases expire, you know, we can push rents up sometimes 50 to $100 without having to do anything simply because they're so far below market. And so if we have lost a lease where we can push rents up and then we can renovate and increase rents even more on top of that, that's what we need for these deals to work, among other things, in Phoenix because of, you know, the high, the, the increasing purchase price and the compressing cap rates. And so, yeah, so, I mean, we, we're value-add syndicators, you know, we, we model five-year holds, but in reality, most of our deals are going to be refinanced or sold probably within 12 to 24 months. And that's what we've been seeing just because of, you know, the, the, the growth and, and just exceeding the expectations. So that's kind of what we've been seeing. It's that time of the show for a segment called Best Deal, Worst Deal, where we talk about real estate transactions that you've done in the past so that others can learn from your knowledge and expertise. So Zach, with that said, what's the best real estate deal that you've done? 
Yeah. I mean, I think that first one right now would have to be our best deal because we've gone full cycle. You know, we almost doubled the money in less than two years. So, I mean, that, that first one, Silver Oaks, 36 units would be our best deal just because, and we were just so hands-on and learned so much. And like we already mentioned, it just gave us a lot of confidence. So I'd say that's the best deal for sure. Nice. And what would you say is the worst deal? The worst. So we have not, I mean, knock on wood, fortunately, we have not had like a, a deal that has not performed in multifamily. So I guess I can't say we've had, you know, a worse deal or any issues yet in our multifamily portfolio, but I guess I will give you a story, Mark. So this was, this was a Super Bowl weekend, I don't know, five, six years ago when it was in Arizona and then all these people storm here and, and all the resorts are filled up. So there was like a brand new resort called Talking Stick. And what I did is my bright idea was to sublease a suite to people because there's so many people come here for the Super Bowl parties and stuff. So I rented out a suite at this resort for four nights at a thousand bucks a night, Thursday through Sunday night. And my plan was to sublease it to like Super Bowl fans and, you know, make the spread, make, make a profit. Well, I put it on all these websites and nobody bit. So I had to eat the four grand and I stayed at the resort myself. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's the worst deal I had, so to speak. But we haven't had any bad deals in multifamily, so that's been good. Oh, good. Yeah. Do you have any advice? I'm sure that you you have a ton of experience right now and, and your partners and you know the people that you surround yourself. Do you have any advice for people, even though you haven't had a quote-unquote bad deal yourself, do you have any advice for people as far as things to avoid when, when doing, you know, when getting into multifamily? Yeah, I mean, you just, you need to make sure that your underwriting model you know, is accurate and then mm -hmm. have conservative assumptions in place, you know? So, I mean, we have a very conservative stress test that we put in our model, which on the one hand makes it really hard to find deals to pencil. But on the other hand, you know, we feel confident will protect us against any type of economic downturn. So, I mean, and it, and it comes down to really, you know, you want to have conservative assumptions for stabilized annual rent growth stabilized economic vacancy. You want to have a healthy delta between your entry cap and your, your exit cap. I mean, you want to be at a higher cap rate, obviously, to assume that you're going to be selling in a, a less favorable situation. I think from an asset management perspective, we're just very hands-on. We can get to any of our deals within 20 to 30 minutes. I know there's a, it's, it's becoming more and more common you know, to syndicate deals out of state. And so I think just make sure you have a thorough understanding of your contingency in your underwriting model and all the capital items, you know, of, of a needs of a, of a deal. Cause I mean, as an example, Phoenix right now is just so competitive and so hot. Most of these marketed deals that are hundred plus units, you're going to have to go non-refundable with your money, earnest money day one with no look, no inspections, no access agreement prior to that. Okay. So, I mean, we're under contract in a deal right now, for example, you know, it's a 30 million plus deal. And we had to go non-refundable 500K of earnest money day one with no one. That's our own personal cash. We've done that at least four or five times now. And we split that up, you know, so among the three of us. So I've got almost 200K to lose at stake. And the way we, the reason people are probably like, well, that's crazy. Why would you ever do that? What if you do the inspections and the roofs are shot, et cetera? What we do in our underwriting model is we have contingency built into it where we have you know, we may have two to $300,000 allocated just for roofs. We may have two to $300,000 allocated just for plumbing. Uh, if it's a chiller, we will be able to replace all chillers, cooling towers, boilers, et cetera, with our contingency money. And so when I say contingency, this is just 
CapEx renovation dollars that you have budgeted and you've raised that money, it's not allocated toward anything necessarily. Okay. So you just make sure you have contingencies for these large capital items because the last thing you want to do is post closing, you know, ask for a cash call from your investors or take money from operations in order to, to fix some of these big issues. So, I mean, the underwriting model is really the key. You want to make sure that your pro forma rents are conservative and achievable. So we always personally secret shop all the comps within a one to three mile radius of the property before we make an offer so that when we start renovating, we know that we're, we're pushing our rents to a number that's already being achieved by other properties in the submarket. So the, all these little things are, are very important because I think a lot of people get the glory or whatever, or they get congratulated for closing a deal, which they should, it's tough. But the real work begins when you close, right? And you have to actually have the business plan and, and return investor money and make sure you're doing good investor reporting. And so all those things are, are really important. Yeah, I love that. That's great advice. Zach, we're almost out of time here, but one final question. Where can investors go to kind of connect with you or your company and learn more about what you guys are doing and, and possibly even invest? Yeah, thanks so much, Mark. So you guys, can, investors can go to our website, which is rise48equity. Dot com. So R-I-S-E numbers 48equity.com. And, and on there, you can check out our portfolio. You can actually set up a call with us if you'd like to ask any questions or have any interest. You can also email me, Zach, Z-A-C-H at rise48equity.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions anybody has and help out however we can. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. And thanks for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Have a great day, Zach. You too. Thanks so much, Mark. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. It's Mark Allen Kenny. If you're interested in apartment building investments, schedule a call with me so we can have a chance to chat. My company is focused on growing your family's wealth with apartment building investments. So let's hop on a quick call and talk about your investment goals and see if we're a good fit. Find out more at StellarInvestmentGroup.com.